Recently, I spoke to a friend of mine who said to me, he said, uh, Dan, you seem like you're too smart to believe that God exists and that he created everything. And I didn't know exactly how to take that statement, but I responded to him by saying, how do you explain the beauty and complexity of life? And without hesitation, straight-faced, he said, aliens. I believe in aliens, that aliens planted life on planet Earth. I said, aliens? <laughs> You've obviously been listening to Joe Rogan too much, and, and so we had a great conversation from there. But my, my friend would say that there might be some purpose to life. There might be some reason for our existence, but there's no way to know it. So you need to create your own meaning. So what is the purpose of life? Well, just go figure it out for yourself. Choose your own adventure. Meaning and purpose is up to you. And if you look to the world, you're going to get some type of answer like that. That when you look to the word of God, we first find out who God is. We understand who God is. Secondly, we find out who we are. What is a human being? What does it mean to be created in the image of God? And then we discover the purpose of our lives. And one marvelous truth in the word of God is that God has created us in his image for his purposes. So why do you exist? What is the purpose of our lives? Well, our mission statement as a church is that Walnut Creek Church exists to glorify God by making authentic disciples of Jesus Christ who love and worship him in all they do. This is our best attempt to summarize what the scriptures teach about the purpose of our lives individually and the purpose of our church. We, we exist for the glory of God. We do not exist for ourselves, that we aren't to just give our lives to whatever we feel like because that's empty and corrupting. Rather, we exist for the glory of God. We've been created by God and for God. And the best way to glorify God is to, is to make disciples of Jesus Christ. And this morning, we are going to explore the mission of the church from Matthew chapter 28. And there are two questions I want to look at with you. The first question, question number one, is how do you become a disciple maker? If the best way to glorify God is to give yourself to making disciples, how do you become a disciple maker? Question number two is why should you become a disciple maker? There are a lot of things you can give your life to. There are many different purposes in the world. And the Lord is asking us to give our lives to his purpose, the task of making disciples. So why should you do that? Well, let's start with question number one. How do you become a disciple maker? How do you become a disciple maker? First, you must joyfully submit to the authority of Jesus. You must joyfully submit to the authority of Jesus. The great commission, the task of making disciples of all nations, taking the good news of the gospel to all people around the world, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. The task of the Great Commission begins with an outrageous claim. It's an incredible claim. Verse 18, Jesus came near and said to them, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. This is a statement about the nature of reality, that all authority belongs to Jesus Christ. And let me give you two reasons this truth matters. Reason number one is that the authority of Jesus should humble us to the core. If he possesses this authority, it should humble us to the core. If Jesus possesses all authority in heaven and on earth, then how much authority do you have? By definition, zero, none. He has all of it. All authority belongs to him. And if he has all authority in heaven and on earth, then how much authority does Satan have in the demonic world? Zero. In and of ourselves, we have no authority. In and of themselves, the demonic world has no authority. To have all authority is to say that Jesus Christ is Lord over all, that he's Lord over every country. He's Lord over every government. And he's Lord over every person. 
And if this is true, there ought to be a genuine humility before Christ. Uh, we, we should get a sense in our souls of the person that we are dealing with. And when you sense greatness and glory, it produces a sense of awe. It produces a sense of humility and a desire to serve. You know, imagine for a second that Taylor Swift came over to your house, the, like the real Taylor Swift. She came over to your house and she, she sat down on your couch and she, and she said, oh man, I'm thirsty. What would you do? You'd get up immediately and find a bottle of water or Gatorade. You'd do whatever it takes to get, to get her a bottle of water. And if she said, oh man, my feet are so tired. I've been dancing a lot or whatever. And I just want to rest. I really just want to rest my feet. I, I really want to rest my feet. What are you going to do? You're going to get down on all fours and you're going to let her put her feet up on your back. And you would be thrilled about that. You would be excited. You would brag about that for the rest of your life. Taylor, Taylor Swift rested her feet on my back. Now, if I came to your house and I put my feet on your back, you'd kick me out of your house probably, and rightly so, because I'm not as great as Taylor Swift. I mean, you sense the greatness and glory of Taylor Swift, so what does that do? It produces inside of you a willingness to serve. It produces a desire to do whatever you need to do to meet the need. And see, if this would be our response to Taylor Swift, how much more should we, we respond this way to the Lord Jesus Christ? If he has all authority and all glory and all power, if he rules over everything, then it should humble us to the core. This is the bedrock conviction of a disciple maker, that Jesus Christ is Lord. He's not just some dude who lived 2,000 years ago. He's Lord over all. And if you look inside of your soul and you find no desire to serve Jesus, no desire to obey him, if everything else in this life is more attractive to you than the Lord Jesus Christ, it's because you aren't looking at him. You don't see him. You don't sense his authority. The second reason this claim matters is because the authority of Jesus should produce confidence in our soul. Not arrogance. Not arrogance. It should produce a confidence in our soul. When you read the book of Acts, you see that Christians lived with courage. And if you're going to be a disciple maker, you, you must have courage. Disciple making is not for cowards. It's, it's for people who are willing to step into difficult and even dangerous situations. But what is the source of real courage? What is the source of real confidence? Well, it comes from the conviction that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is Lord over heaven and earth. Acts chapter 4 verse 18 says, so they called for them and ordered them, these are the apostles, they called for the apostles and ordered them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. The apostles were preaching the gospel. They were making disciples. The problem is that the authorities did not want them preaching the gospel and making disciples. So they said, hey, let's call them in and then we're going to threaten them. We are going to threaten them. They say, you must not teach anymore. And these threats were not empty threats. Uh, these were the same people who put Jesus Christ to death. They tortured him. They whipped him. And then they nailed him to a cross. These were the same people who killed Jesus. These are the same people who beat up Christians and later on would kill Christians. Now, how would you respond if the governing authorities called you in, called you in and said, be quiet, stop talking about Christ? You can't do that. What would you, what would you do? How would you respond? Well, verse 19, look at Peter and John's response. Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God for us to listen to you rather than to, to God, you decide. For we are unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard. You guys are telling us to be quiet, but Jesus has all authority in heaven and on earth. He is Lord over all. He is God. So is it right for us to obey you guys or him? He has all authority. 
Do we obey you or do we obey the one who has risen from the dead, who has conquered sin and death and Satan? Do we obey you guys or the one who says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail? See, the first step in becoming a disciple maker is recognizing and joyfully submitting to the authority of Jesus Christ. Being a disciple maker is not really just a lifestyle. It's much more than a lifestyle. It's about serving a person, the resurrected Jesus Christ, who is Lord over all. He is the one who will judge the living and the dead. He is the one who will give eternal life or condemn to hell forever. He is Lord over all. Number two, how do you become a disciple maker? Go and make disciples. The first thing you need to do is joyfully submit to the authority of Christ. And then number two, you need to go and make disciples. This needs to become the mission of your life, to go and make disciples. Verse 19, go therefore and make disciples of all nations. When the angels appeared to the shepherds when Jesus was born, they said, fear not, for we bring you good news of great joy for all people. We bring you good news of great joy for all people. Today in Bethlehem, a Savior is born. See, the gospel is good news of great joy for all people, that in Christ, your sins can be forgiven. In Christ, you can have a new life. In Christ, you can be reconciled to God. In Christ, you have eternal life. It is good news for all people. It is so good that the entire world needs to hear about it. And God intends to use his people to take this good news to the ends of the earth. Now, there are three details I want you to notice about going and making disciples. Detail number one is that to joyfully come under the authority of Jesus is to give yourself to the task of making disciples. To joy, what does it mean to joyfully come under the authority of Jesus? It means you give yourself to the task of making disciples. In verse 18, we see the claim. He says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. And then verse 19, we see the word therefore. So you have the claim, the truth claim. Then you have the bridge. The bridge is the therefore. And it connects the truth to the application. What's the application of the truth that Jesus has all authority? Go and make disciples. With that authority, Jesus is grabbing our attention and saying, listen, I want you to give yourself to the task of making disciples. And this provides such clarity for the Christian life. You know, if I, if I asked you, what are you living for? What are you giving yourself to? A lot of you would have a lot of good answers. You would say things like this. You know what? I just want to be the best type. Of, I want to be the best person I can be. Or, you know what I'm living for? I'm living for my family. Or I want to have a great career. Or I'm trying to help the poor. And that, all those things, that's, that's, that's all good stuff, but that's not the right answer. That's not the Christian answer. There is a Christian answer to this question. What are we to live for? And here's the Christian answer. You should say, I'm living for the glory of God by making authentic disciples. That's the answer. Some version of that must be the answer, that we are living for the glory of God by making authentic disciples. If Jesus could stand right here and we could ask him, what should we live for? He would say a version of that. Live for the glory of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. And so to come under the authority of Christ is to give ourselves consciously, intentionally give ourselves to the task of making disciples. Detail number two is that Jesus is making disciples through us. This is what we need to notice in the, in the passage. When Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, he's not saying go make, that I'm to go make disciples of Dan Rude. I'm to go make, I am rather to go make disciples of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is making disciples through his people. And my initial reaction to that command, if I'm gonna take that command seriously, go make disciples of all nations, my initial reaction is to say, I can't do that. 
Like, I just simply, I can't do that. I can't teach my dog to obey me. And so there's no way I'm going to teach nations to obey Jesus. How in the world are we to go and teach nations to obey Jesus? The command to go make disciples plays on all of my insecurities. All of my insecurities. How many of you feel totally inadequate to go make disciples of all nations? Anyone here? Okay, if you didn't raise your hand, it's because you're lying. And uh, you shouldn't lie at church. Please don't do that. I mean, all of us, if you think about it, you should feel totally inadequate. You do, like, okay, I'm supposed to go open the eyes of the blind that they see the glory of God? Can you do that? No way. I'm supposed to give life to dead people? There's no way we can do this in our own strength. And if we were left to ourselves, we can never do it. But God has set it up so that he makes disciples through us. If Jesus says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth, therefore go make peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, I would think I can do that. Just give me the bread, peanut butter, jelly. I'm gonna nail that. I can do it. But go make disciples, we can't do that. So how, how should you deal with your, your sense of inadequacy? Some of you, you're, you're sitting here and you're thinking, I just can't do that. Like I just, I can't give myself to making disciples. So, so how should you deal with your insecurity? your sense of insecurity? How should you deal with your sense of inadequacy? Well, first, we must notice this is the plan of Jesus. It's his plan. We didn't come up with the plan to go and make disciples. This is his plan, and his plan includes your weaknesses. His plan includes your insecurities. In fact, his plan includes your doubts. He doesn't say, go get your life figured out and make your life perfect, then go make disciples. That's not what he says. He says, go make disciples. And in the process, he works through our weaknesses, our failures, and our doubts. Look at Matthew 28, 16. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee. This is after Jesus died and rose again from the grave. The 11 disciples traveled to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had directed them. Verse 17. When they saw him, okay, so do you you see the context? On a mountain, Jesus told them to go there resurrected Jesus with the disciples. Jesus spent three years with his disciples and now they're meeting him on the mountain. Jesus is alive, physically there talking to them. Verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped. Did everyone worship? No, but some doubted. Some doubted. Some of these guys were still doubting whether or not, is this really Jesus? But this is the group of people that Jesus gave the task of making disciples of all, of all nations too. So if you think, well, sometimes I have doubts. Well, you're in good company. The disciples saw the resurrected Christ and they still had doubts. They had insecurities. They had weaknesses. But God does not say, make your life perfect, then I'll use you. That's not what he says. He says, give me your life and I'll use it. Give your life to me and I will use it for my purposes. This is how God has set it up. One truth that has really helped me over the years is that God delights and using weak people to do great things for his glory. Do you feel weak? Then you're perfect for the job. Do you feel ina- inadequate? You're perfect for the job. He, uses weak, he loves to use weak people to do great things for his glory. Detail number three is that d- disciple making is an individual and church task. Disciple making is an individual and church task. The task of making disciples was given to a group of disciples who would become a church, who would plant churches to go make more disciples, to plant churches and make disciples. And so the task is given to the body of Christ, to disciples who gather in churches. There are two common mistakes 
a lot of us make. I've made these mistakes. Mistake number one, here it is. It's all, it's all on me. When it comes to disciple making, it's all up to me. It's a high degree of ownership. We can do it, we can do it, or I can do it, I can do it. High degree of ownership, but it's all up to me. And you will burn out, you won't make it if you think that way. Mistake number two is that it's all up to you. It's all on you. Now, we think to ourselves, this, this, is, this is the thought process. Okay, so here's the way the thought process goes. It's good for people to come to know Christ, amen? Isn't that right? It is good for people to come to know Christ. Your, your classmates, coworkers, your family members, it's good for them to become disciples of Jesus Christ. That's absolutely true. Now, how's that gonna happen? It's up to someone else. It's, I'm hoping God uses other people to see my neighbors, my friends, classmates, whatever it is, family members, come to faith in Christ. It's up to someone else. We just say it's up to someone else. God, you're gonna have to do it through someone else. The truth is that as Christians, we are to have a high degree of ownership. We are to own the task of making disciples. Like I am to own that task, and brothers and sisters, we are to own that task. We do it together. It requires a group effort. The task is too big for one person. The task is to make disciples of all nations, starting in our city, in our, in our state, in our country, and even around the world. The mission is so big, it requires all of us. And all of you have a part to play. And that part is gonna look different. It's gonna look different over time. But the pattern of the scriptures is that we gather together for worship. That's why we came. We came to see our friends, eat some good donuts, whatever it is, but we came to worship the Lord Jesus Christ. We gather to worship. This is what the early church did. This is what we're commanded to do. We gather to worship Jesus as a church, and then we are sent out as witnesses in the world. We, are, we gather, and then we are sent out as witnesses, ambassadors for Christ. And the goal when we leave here is not to just go watch NFL football all day long. That's not the goal. I mean, I think there's probably a carve out in the scriptures for that since it's opening day of the NFL season. It's probably okay today. But after, after this week, the goal is not to just go home and watch football. The goal is that our lives, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, all the days of the week, every day of the week, is that we would be the light of the world. We would be the light of the world. That we would be the salt of the earth. That we would be ambassadors for Christ. That we would represent Christ well in the way that we treat people, the way that we speak to people, the way that we love each other, the way we love our families, the way we love our coworkers, the way we love our classmates, the way we love our neighbors, and even the way that we love our enemies. Even the way we love our enemies. We should, even, we should want for Iowa Hawkeyes to become Christians as well. That's what, we should, that's what we should want. Even people who are against us. We should want all people to come to faith in Christ. And sometimes what that means is that you can share the gospel, you end up sharing the gospel with someone the first time you meet them. Sometimes that's what it looks like. And sometimes it looks like just being a great friend, a great neighbor, a great employee, a great husband or a great wife, to develop relationships, to open doors for the gospel. In the church, in this room, there ought to be many different strategies, but one goal. There ought to be many different strategies, but one goal. And there ought to be a forward lean in the way that we live. We ought not to sit back. Jesus says, you go. You are to go. One little tip that has helped me over the years is that disciple makers are inviters. Disciple makers are 
inviters. And so many of you are great at this, but if you're going to have a forward lean, you must learn how to invite people. Invite people into your homes. Invite people to go get coffee. Invite people to church. Invite people to Bible study. Invite people to go golfing with you. Invite people to come alongside of your life. To build relationships that people might come to faith in Christ. If you look at your life and you think, oh, over the last six months, I haven't invited anyone to anything, you probably don't have a lot of people that you're investing in for the cause of Christ. And so I want to ask you this morning, have you embraced the task of making disciples? If you're here and you say, I'm a Christian, have you embraced the task of making disciples? Many of you have. Many of you are laboring. Many of you, you've given your life to making disciples. Some of you, you committed your life to Christ and the Great Commission years ago, years ago, but you've drifted from it. You've drifted away from it. You've gotten too busy. You've gotten distracted. And some of you have never connected the dots. Never, some of you have never understood that to, to follow Christ is to give your life. A big part of this is giving your life to the glory of God by making disciples. And so with the rest of our time, I want to give you three reasons you should give your life to Christ in the Great Commission. Why you should say, yeah, I'm going to own the task of making the disciples individually and as the body of Christ. Number one, why should you do this? Number one, I mean, because it's costly. It will cost you to make disciples. It will inconvenience your life. It might disrupt relationships. Like the early disciples, you might be called before the authorities to give an account. There are all kinds of things that can happen to you. So why should you do this if it's going to disrupt your life? Uh, number one is that disciple making is the best way to love and worship God. It is the best way to love and worship God. God. Here's a principle for you that we joyfully give ourselves to whatever we believe is most valuable. This is how human beings operate. You can't even go against it. Even if you tried to go against it, you can't. This is the way you're designed, that we joyfully give ourselves to whatever we believe is most valuable. And you will find something that is most valuable, something that is glorious before your eyes. You will find something to worship. You will find something to give your life too. And Christians are people who look at all the options in the world. We look at all the options. We look at sex. Should we live for sex? Have it been created for sex? We say, no, no. Sex is good in its context. It's a wonderful blessing from God, but we haven't been created for sex. We look at money. We say, okay, money, that's good. It's a tool. It's a blessing from God, but we haven't been created for money. We look at our career. We look at the American dream. We look at sports or hobbies or whatever it is. We look at all that the world has to offer and we believe, we say, that following the Lord Jesus Christ is better than anything else. It's better than money. It's better than the pleasures of this life. It's better than having my way. It's more valuable because Christ, he is the one who lived for us and died for us and rose for us. He is the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. There is nothing more life-giving than knowing Christ. There's nothing more life-giving than following Christ. And so worship, worshiping God is to be the motive for the mission. And when we give our lives to Christ and when we give our lives to the mission of God, our lives display the glory of God. So the best way, what is the best way to glorify God? What is the best way to love and worship him? It's to give our lives to his mission. Number two, why should you give your life to Christ in the Great Commission? Number two is that disciple-making is the best way to love people. 
It is the best way to love people. Matthew 22, verse 37. He said to him, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. This is the greatest and most important commandment. The great commission, the command to go make disciples, is not the most important commandment. The most important commandment, the greatest commandment, is to love God. The great commission exists to fulfill the great commandment. So why do we do the great commission? Why do we give ourselves to it? So that more people would know and love and worship God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. The most important commandment is that I individually, as a human being, would love and worship God. I would love and worship him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does true worship look like? It looks like loving God more than anything else. Verse 39, and the second is like it. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. And the more we love God, the more we see who he is and all that he has done for us, the more our heart will overflow with love towards our neighbor. My favorite definition of love is that love pursues the highest good of another, even at great personal cost. What, it, what is love? Is it just affirming someone? Is it just saying to someone, you're all, you know, you're fine just the way you are, you're great? Is that what love means? No, no. Love pursues the highest good for other people, even at great personal cost. This is the best thing you can do for the world. It is to love your neighbor as yourself. So what is the highest good? Okay, so what is the highest good for our culture? When you look at the world today, you look at our city, you look at our country, what is the best thing you can do for our city? What is the best thing you can do for our community? What's the best thing you can do for our country? You know, last week I flew into Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, as we were landing, it was a very uneventful flight, but as we were landing, uh, the pilot came on and said, we have an unusual situation uh, we're going to be able to land, and you can get off the plane, but you cannot leave the airport. I was, I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. But, and they said, you can't leave the airport because there's a credible security threat. There's a credible security threat. And then, and then he went off, and I thought, okay, well, that's kind of interesting. Um, so everyone on the plane is looking at each other. What is a credible security threat? <laughs> and so everyone's Googling, what is a credible security threat here? And so we land, and we get off, and I'm like, is there a... What, what am I going to walk into? So I'm walking off the plane, and TSA agents were going nuts. They're buzzing around like bees everywhere, like going nuts. And I, I said, I asked the TSA agent, what is a credible security threat? And they said, it's an active shooter or a bomb or a bomb or both. And I thought, in the airport? Like right here? <laughs> and he's like, yeah, it's just right outside of the airport. And so an hour goes by, and I talked to another TSA agent, and they said, there's a guy, so what happened was that there's a guy, allegedly, this is just from a TSA agent, there's a guy in a car with a rifle pointing at the airport who says, I have a bomb. I'm like, whoa. Now my first thought was, I need to take that guy out. I'm just kidding, that's not what I thought. <laughs> I thought, I gotta get out of here. I need to leave right now. <laughs> but they said, you can't go anywhere. So I'm like, okay, that's fine. But, so I sat there for about an, I don't know, hour, I was probably in the airport for 90 minutes or so, and I thought, what has to happen in someone's life for them to show up with a rifle at an airport? What, what has to happen in their life? And if you just look at the world, that's not, that's not a super unique situation. There's terrible stuff happening all the time, and the world 
is so broken and there are so many broken families and there's so much corruption and people are taken advantage of all the time. People are addicted to all kinds of things. And you look at the world and what we can do a lot of times as Christians is we say, I don't even want to look at it because it messes up my day. Do you ever feel that? You're like, I can't even look at the news. I can't even look at what's happening. It's too ugly. And so we just want to live in our own little bubbles. And I understand that impulse. But see, the Lord Jesus Christ has sent us into the world to be the light of the world. That we are to be the light of the world. Now, what is the solution to the problems in society? Is it, is it more education? Should we just think, yeah, all we need to do is just get people more education. Is that, is that what people need? What about money? Should we just give more money to people? We've been trying that as a country recently. I don't think that's working. It doesn't solve the problems. So what's the solution? The solution is that people need to hear about what Christ has done for them. And they need to learn how to follow Christ. They need to hear that God loves them so much that he sent his son to die on the cross for their sins that they might be forgiven, that they might be reconciled. This is the greatest good we can pursue as human beings. It's helping people come to know Christ and then grow up into spiritual maturity. Remember that when people die, people go to heaven or hell. Every person that you see has been created in the image of God and they will spend eternity in heaven or in hell solely on the basis of what they believe about Christ. And so what drives us into the world? What drives us to, to love other people and to tell them about Christ? What well, should be love for God and then a love for our neighbor? Why pray for people? Do you pray for people? Do you pray that lost people would come to faith in Christ? Why pray? Well, it's a supernatural work, and people need Christ. Why share the gospel with people? It's because people need Christ. Why, why, why should you be willing to enter into spicy situations? Because people need Christ. Why teach people the scriptures? Why keep meeting with people and telling them about what Christ has done for them? Jesus says, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. Why do you do that? Because people need Christ. And when you connect making disciples with loving people, I think it's absolutely thrilling. Because <laughs> you look at people and you're like, I can, by the grace of God, I can help do something for you that will change your eternity. I can't change you, but remember, we are his ambassadors. I, I can be helpful. I can help you by the grace of God working through us. I can tell you about Christ and what he's done for you. It is thrilling to make that connection in your mind. So why? Why give yourself to Christ in the Great Commission? It's the most loving thing you can do for other people. Number three, disciple making is the best pursuit for your own soul. It is the best pursuit for your soul. I remember when I was younger, I thought, you know what I'm missing in my life? You know what I'm missing? A lot of people, I bet you a lot of you here this morning, you're, you're chasing something. You're running after something. The American dream, more money, you know, better sex life, fame, whatever it is. You're chasing something. And I remember when I was in high school, I thought, what I'm missing in my life is a relationship with a girl. That's what I thought. And if there was a girl who I thought, if I thought she was awesome and then she thought I was awesome, then we'd be awesome together. 
and then I'd be really happy and content. And then I had that, got that experience, and I thought, oh, no, that's empty down to the bottom. And then I thought, okay, maybe it's not that. Maybe I need to have success in sports. Maybe if I can just start on varsity, varsity basketball team or whatever it is, then I'll be really satisfied. That's because that's what I'm missing. I, I, that's, I, I just need to have more success in sports. But then I had that experience, and that was empty down to the bottom. And then I thought, maybe if I could just dunk a basketball, like just get up, throw down a basketball, dunk it, then I would be really, I'd be really satisfied. And so I worked hard, and I got to a place where I could dunk a basketball. It was on an eight-foot hoop, but I was able to dunk a basketball. A dunk is a dunk in my book. I'm just, okay, I, maybe I wasn't able to dunk a basketball. But we all have that experience where we're, we're like chasing something. Yeah, I'm going to go get that thing. Yeah, whatever that is. And then you get it. And we're like a dog that chased the fire truck. And the fire truck stops. And now the dog doesn't know what to do. What do I do now? It's empty. It's empty. And you will have that experience for your entire life. So why are the things of this world not satisfying to you in the way you want them to be? It's because you're not made for this world. You're not. You're not made for this world. You've been created by God and for God. And your heart will, will only be satisfied to the degree that you know him and trust him and obey him for his glory. And see, when you follow Christ and when you love people and when you tell people about Christ, you're not, you are giving yourself to something that will last. It, it, you will give, it is in your best interest now and it's in your best interest forever to give your life to Christ and the Great Commission. I think all of us want something that's gonna matter. Like we don't wanna get to the end, end of our life and realize that everything that we worked for has just fallen down on itself, that it doesn't last at all. There's a, uh, uh, there is a national sand sculpture competition in Oregon every year. I don't know if you've heard of this before, but it's a giant event. There's tens of thousands of people come. And what happens is all these artists come and they build these sand sculptures. They have, they have 10 hours. Start early in the morning. They work all day and they produce incredible, some incredible pieces of art. So here's, I think we have a, a few of them here. So here's Spider-Man. This is on a beach and they're just lined up all down the beach. So here's, here's Spider-Man. If you want to go to the next one, uh, this, is, this is one that actually won the competition. That's sand on a beach. You want to go to the next, the next one here? I mean, and they're, they're big. They're, they're actually quite, quite large. If you want to go to the next one, uh, the next one here. There are some weird ones, I guess. Um, <laughs> but you could just, I could show you 100 pictures, and people, they're there, and they're building these sand castles. These are not castles, but these sand sculptures. And then the judges come by, and they judge their sand sculpture. Then awards are handed out. And by the time the sun sets, all of these sculptures begin to collapse. They all begin to collapse. And the next morning, you go walk on that beach, and you wouldn't, you wouldn't even know that there were, there were these pieces of art on the beach the day before. They're all gone. They're just gone. And I look at that and I think about all the time and the money and the energy that people go into creating these sand sculptures. But the very next day, there's literally nothing to show for it. I mean, you might have a little award for it, maybe, but there's nothing to show for it. And I don't want to get to the end of my life and see that everything that I gave my life to fade away. Like, I, I don't want to do that. And I don't think you want to do that either. There's a, there's a desire inside of us to give our lives to something that matters for eternity. And see, what 
the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to give our lives to, it makes a difference, a huge difference now, but it makes a difference for all of eternity. That God would use us to see people grow in their love for Christ or come to know Christ to see their lives turned upside down. And so I want to close by just asking you the question, what are you giving your life to? In light of all that Christ has done, I would encourage you, live for the glory of God by making disciples of Jesus Christ. You think, how do I do that? Well, we're going to begin a two-year journey through the book of Romans <laughs> next week where we're going to be talking about what does it mean to live as a Christian in light of all that God has done for us. So let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you.